I love my kitty cat, yes I do. I love my kitty cat, oh I do. And all I want to do is to give her lots of love. Give her lots of love and a kiss and a hug. I love my kitty cat, yes I do. I love my kitty cat, oh I do. And all I want to do is to feed her lots of treats. Feed her lots of treats and kiss her little beats. Hi everyone, welcome to the December 14th ASF Weekly Science Podcast. This week we'll discuss the benefits of getting a cat for your family with autism evidence that parents play an important role in helping their child's therapy, which is now the norm in this telehealth environment. Parents need to be involved, so how does parent training work? And finally, a new visual-based screening system that is meant to address the gaps in those with a Hispanic background in identifying early symptoms of ASD. But let's start with the cats because this weekend I learned how to download YouTube videos with a new program called Parallels, and I'm having an amazing time with it. So that's why you heard that new I Love My Kitty Cat song at the beginning. It's a video from YouTube that encapsulates how I feel about cats. So I was thrilled this week to see someone investigating the potential for therapy cats. The study showed that 11 families, now I know that's only 11 families that were examined pre and post cat adoption, found that adoption was associated with greater empathy and fewer problem behaviors, including externalizing, bullying, and hyperactivity. Parents and children reported strong bonds to the cats. But there's a big but here. Not everyone goes to an adoption center and gets a well-tempered cat. I'll share a personal story with you. About seven years ago, Santa brought a cat to my household. So when Santa brings a cat, you go in and you grab whatever cat they wanted to throw at you. Sarah has not bonded with this cat, and this cat would rather just not be around anyone, period. We later learned that we adopted the cat who had been adopted four other times. So it really wasn't the best cat in the world. And I literally can see this happening to families with autism. So if you're open to it and no one in your family is allergic, spend some time at shelters and find out which ones are good with kids. You can try a kitten, but sometimes older cats have a stronger history of knowing whether or not they have a good temperament or not. Don't do what I did. Don't go in and grab whatever cat is available and find out it had problems finding a home before because it's a psychopath. Now, parents, of course, play a big role in taking care of these support animals, either domestic or farm animals or aquatic animals like dolphins. You need to have to be involved. I'm sorry. So no five-year-old is going to want to walk a dog or feed a cat. Try it and prove me wrong. Parents also have a huge role to play in now sometimes 100% virtual telehealth assessments and therapy interventions And caregivers have to take a more active role and learn skills around implementing those interventions at home rather than the clinic. For younger kids, this has always been an issue. Parents take on a partnership role with early intervention providers to see what's learned in the clinic at home so it can be more generalizable to general situations. The Autism Navigator is a resource to families that can be used for these purposes. It shows videos of milestones and examples of how parents can work with their kids to complete basic chores and engage in basic daily routines in their homes. They provide examples and they provide support. 
We're all at home, at least most of us are at home, and parents need to be involved. But before the pandemic, what did we know about how clinicians were able to train families or parents to implement some of the skills in the clinic at home? Previous reviews examined parent training to manage disruptive behavior in children with ASD. Now, there were differences in sample sizes and the number of treatment settings and study duration and control conditions, but the results supported efficacy of parent training for disruptive behaviors. Another study showed through a systematic review on parent-implemented functional communication training that functional communication training reduced challenging behaviors and in some cases, the effect was maintained in generalized settings outside the home. Now, another research study that combined findings around those group-based parent training interventions showed that it could modify parent behavior to achieve improvements in the child's behavior skills, and socialization, while also providing social support and coping strategies to address parent health needs. At that time, there were so many different types of interventions and modalities and outcomes, that it was hard to say anything about any specific recommendations on what the active ingredients of those parent training interventions were. Now, the aim of the next study I want to talk about was to carry out a systematic review and meta-analysis of published English language studies to evaluate and compare the effectiveness of parent training intervention for parents of children with autism on child's core ASD symptoms, associated symptoms such as challenging behaviors and sleep problems, as well as parental stress, knowledge, and confidence in dealing with their child's behavior. Again, This study found there is not a single type of parent training and different studies use different methods and the components of the parent training varied widely. They included 17 publications from 15 different studies that included an active intervention group to either a wait list or some other control group which included parent education, but something other than a parent training group. Now, these interventions included things like floor time, early start Denver model, social pragmatic joint attention skills, and pivotal response training. All of these improved adaptive behavior. They found that on average, higher verbal and cognitive ability at the outset led to more favorable outcomes. But beyond that, it was hard to even combine the data in a meta-analysis because again, there were so many differences in these interventions what they measured, and what the protocols they used were. But parent satisfaction scores were high. So these parent training interventions have a lot of potential, and this is good news. They may not solve all the problems, but this is one part of the pandemic that is here to stay and needs more research. That's parent training and telehealth. Finally this week, a major problem that's pervaded the community for a long time, and it is actually a major part of the year-end summary. That'll be published next Monday, by the way, so put your seatbelts on. That's the Black Lives Matter impact on autism spectrum disorders. Since autism awareness and sometimes diagnosis is so biased against Hispanic and Black families, this is a priority for research. As far as Hispanic families go, clinicians don't necessarily always speak Spanish. And sometimes the terminology is used in things like the MCHAT, which is a screening tool, and some other screening tools aren't necessarily recognizable or understandable by Hispanic families. 
So researchers led by Jill Harris at Children's Specialized Hospital in New Jersey developed a new tool. It's called the Developmental Check-In Tool and was piloted in New Jersey with mainly Hispanic communities. This Developmental Check-In Tool, or DCI, was created in English and Spanish. It consisted of 26 photographs grouped by domain, either communication, play, social, and behavior. And each photograph had a brief descriptor. Each item was then depicted as both a line drawing and a photograph. When necessary to promote clarity, brief labels were added to the items. For example, a bubble coming from the mouth of the adult in the picture with the name of the child was added to the item response to name. Separate versions of the screening tool were created with English and Spanish item labels because it was actually given to Hispanic families and used in their primary language, either English or Spanish. I'll put a picture of one of the items in the podcast description on asfpodcast.org. Now, some of the items that had a photograph with a bubble in Spanish were things like plays peekaboo, plays make-believe, shows toys, walks on toes often. Other things were added like bothered by noises, makes eye contact, comforts others, says one word or three words, avoids eye contact or spills wheels over and over. So when compared to the MCHAT and the SCQ, and then against an ADOS diagnosis in clinicians that spoke both English and Spanish, the DCI demonstrated a good ability to discriminate ASD from non-ASD across all groups in this unselected sample of young children from families who were primarily Hispanic, spoke Spanish as their primary language, were insured through Medicaid or not insured at all, and had a maternal education of a high school or below. So results of the initial testing of the DCI are promising. With the DCI, they offer an ASD screening tool that appears to work well among underserved families and addresses limitations of other validated autism screeners. In this way, the DCI holds potential to help reduce disparities in identification of ASD. So this is the first screening tool designed specifically for Hispanic families who did not speak English. It is clear that a number of tools and approaches need to be used to address those from racial and ethnic backgrounds. In this case, it was people they can identify with in those photos. The moms and the kids were Hispanic. It worked about the same, if not slightly better, in Hispanic families compared to the original measures on some things. So we need more of these. And this also did work in families who weren't Hispanic as well. So thanks for listening this week. Short podcast today, right? Well, next week we'll have the year-end summary, and that will be longer. So I'm giving you a little bit of a break this week. And happy Hanukkah. Hanukkah.